0: Good morning. morning. Wasn't that beautiful? Thank you very much for spending the time to practice and bring that sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice was before and the praise was just now. Amen? So, thank you for that. Uh, Jeremiah 17 talks about having a sacrifice of praise on the Sabbath and then Hebrews picks up that theme and um, music and singing and rejoicing is such a huge part of true worship. So, that's a delight, delight to hear that. Well, I brought some books with me today. Usually people bring their iPad. I have one, but I don't really use it yet. Plus, I wanted to just feel like my dad or grandfather when they were preaching they'd always bring a stack of books to the front and the reason was because they wanted to get people to read those books and uh, I mean if you hold up an iPad who knows what's on that this is testimonies for the church volume two so I'm wanting you to read a chapter in that Uh, so that's what it looks like if you've never seen one can touch it afterwards for a small offering to WIC. <laughs> and this is the book, Ministry of Healing. How many of you have read this book? Some of you either had a stroke or did not read the book. Did you, how many of you did not read that book ever? All right, be honest, because the ushers will take you out. <laughs> <laughs> Testimonies volume two, how many of you have read that book? Not very many. Okay, well, maybe we should just read that today. Okay, Time Magazine. How many of you have read Time Magazine? I'm going to read a little bit of that today. That's this, the, the, the most recent edition. And uh, this book. This is the book we're going to study today. All right. Well, let's just pray again. And ask the Lord to be with us uh, today. Father in heaven, uh, today we're just grateful for your great love for us, for your kindness to us, and Lord we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be here with us today and guide us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, last night, um, those of you who were here, um, we studied together. And how many of you remember what we studied? (laughs) We talked about the early rain. We talked about, uh, well... Where do we get the early rain? Who gives us the early rain? Yeah, we discovered that Jesus is the one that can give us the early rain, and the early rain is the same thing as what? I failed. (laughs) It's the same thing as the Holy Spirit, someone said. It's the same thing as the baptism of the Spirit, amen? And Jesus is the one that gives us the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we suggested last night that the reason He could give us the baptism of the Spirit was because He had so much Holy Spirit. It was dripping off of Him. He was anointed with the oil of gladness more than all His brethren because He loved righteousness and He hated lawlessness. Psalm 45, 6 and 7, Hebrews chapter 1 Verse 8 and 9. And when was it that that Holy Spirit was released in a marked manner? Did we learn last night? When was it? When was it released on Jesus? You guys should have been here last night. In a sense, at his baptism, yes, but in that marked manner that brought about the early rain. When was that? It was when he died on the cross. And we learned last night that when he died on the cross, when his, when it, when his heart was broken for you and me, what we learned was what? That that pierced the heart of God as well. And as a result, streams of water began to flow out of Jesus... John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. And those streams of water were released in a more marked way. How do we remember that? And as a result, what happened? He wanted to come back down and tell his disciples all about it. Remember that? He said, look, I've been baptized with the Spirit. I want you to be baptized. And so he came down, and how many days did he give a Bible study for? Forty days. And for 40 days, he went around and says, look... I want you to have some of this. Look at my side. Look at my hand. Those were the very places that had been pierced when that extra portion of the Holy Spirit had been poured out. And so he gave that Bible study. He realized they weren't ready for it. How many of you have ever worked with someone that's just not ready for something spiritually? And you realize there's some other work to be done. And Jesus realized that, so he began working with them. Because he, he knew that they couldn't handle the power. They could not handle the power unless something happened. What was it? They needed to take care of the things that were between one another. They needed to come together in unity. Right? And so many times we don't want to come together in unity. How many of you have noticed this? I, 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 I'm glad for multiplied ministries, but I think we need to come together in unity. Amen? Amen. (laughs) So, he began working with them, and it was amazing. It says that Jesus' brothers even came into the upper room. These were not people that he got along with. All kinds of people were in that upper room, and they came together in unity. They also came together in priority. How many of you remember last night? They were wanting to know, what's the times and what's the seasons? And what did he say? Don't worry about that don't worry about that. Worry about what you need to do right now, which is to witness and have the baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes to unity, that comes to witness, that comes to truly doing the work that you need to do right now, and that'll go from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Do that work. And he answered both questions by saying that. In other words, he says, yes, there will be a come, there will be a season, there will be a time when the kingdom will be restored. Thy kingdom will come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But really what you've got to focus in on is that practical witness in your own life. And then what happened? They actually did it. They got together, they prayed together, they stayed together, and in 10 days' time, in 10 days' time, all variance was taken away, and they were of one accord. I love that word, one accord. It's kind of a musical word, it tells me. Did you know that, doctor? Did you know that? Beautiful. He probably has like 16 anthems on that. One accord, two accord, a complete chord, right? So... One accord really literally means rushing along together harmoniously. Now, you don't want to rush along together (laughs) unless you're harmonious. How many of you ever played that game where you put your little one foot in a bag and then you're supposed to run? The whole idea there is what? To give the orthopedic surgeon business, right? (laughs) That's what happens unless you're rushing along together harmoniously. And that's what they started to do. And as they were rushing or coming together harmoniously in that upper room, God saw that He could trust them. And right on time, the psalm, Psalm 133, came into play. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil that comes down on Aaron's beard and then this robe all the way down. And that's what happened. The high priest was in heaven. Now his will was being done on earth as it was in heaven. And that manifestation, the baptism that Jesus had been baptized with, the baptism of the Spirit that had come in a marked manner because of the culminative act of dying on a cross, which really represented every day he came to this earth, and every moment he said, not my will, but thy will be done. That's what the cross was. That was all poured out. And now it was poured out on a receptive people. And they were markedly impacted, and the entire world was reached in one generation. In fact, that very day, they almost reached the entire world because everybody was there for that Feast of Pentecost. And that's what the Bible calls the early rain. But the Bible also says there will be a latter rain. There'll be a baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes in a marked way at the end of time. Now, last night I suggested something. And that was, well, I didn't suggest it. The Bible suggested it. Many of us have been baptized. Some of us have not yet been baptized by water. How many of you have been baptized by water? But the Bible talks about two baptisms talks about being baptized by the water but then it also talks about being baptized in the Holy Spirit and I want to just suggest again kindly and humbly but I think that's our biggest need that's our biggest need isn't it baptism in the Holy Spirit Speaking of that baptism, let's look at a chapter that talks about the practical, ap- the practical application of baptism that Jesus desired. Go to Luke chapter 3. In our scripture reading today, we heard the first several verses about how John the Baptist, verse 3, went around preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And then he painted this picture, quoting the Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight. And the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh, all flesh, shall see the salvation of the Lord. Now that, when that is ultimately fulfilled, what is that? That's the latter rain. All flesh, seeing the salvation of the Lord. That's not only understanding what Jesus said, but it's understanding what he did. And it's not only understanding what he did, it's doing what he did. And it's teaching what he taught. Those are the two things that the baptism of the Holy Spirit will bring. And then he begins to explain it. Now first of all, notice what he does. He comes out, he has that little sermon, and they're all going, Amen! And then he says to those who came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, how many of you would have felt good this morning if you came to WYC and there's a group of greeters out there and they said to you, welcome, brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Have a water bottle. We think this is a little too direct, Right? let me make a suggestion to you if we are not baptized with the Holy Spirit each and every day we're vipers we're dangerous at least I am if I don't have the Holy Spirit in my life my wife's sitting right over here she's probably nodding I could be a danger you know what a viper is? I don't even know what a viper is. It's not like a, a snake that just like hangs out and says, Hello, I'm a snake. Anybody home? I would like to let you know I'm coming in. I'll be singing for you today in beautiful four-part harmony. That's not what a viper is. A viper is a kind of snake that you really don't see until you step on it. And when you step on it, it bites you and kills you. <laughs> now, how many of you know some family members like that? <laughs> These are just wonderful human beings. You don't hear anything from them until you say, would you clean up your room, please? Ah! <laughs> would you help me with that? Ah! I don't even understand the idea of vipers. In other words, if we're not baptized with the Holy Spirit, our heart is not looking for service, and when we're, we're, we're asked to serve, we don't want to do it. Now, you say, well, how in the words you get that out of that passage? Well, let's look. Verse 8. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. I'm going to come back to that. Bear fruits worthy of repentance, and don't begin to say, we have Abraham as our father. So in other words, don't say, well, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist and I'm a third-generation Seventh-day Adventist. and I'm a minister and my dad was a minister and his dad was a minister and da 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 <laughs> No, 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 no. That's not good enough. You can have a pedigree that goes all the way back, but unless you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you're a viper. For I say to you that God is able to raise up He's able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. So in other words, I found my notes finally. <laughs> I was looking for <laughs> In other words, in other words, nobody's born on the bus. Nobody's born on the bus. And you can fall off the bus at any time. I think in G-Y-C-W-Y-C, we've learned that, haven't we? Where we've had some leaders many times, maybe even disappointed us a bit. But the point is, I don't care how high up or low down we are or feel we are, and there's many times a difference, we need the baptism daily, moment by moment, of the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. now look at this. I find this fascinating. Then he begins to describe what the baptism of the Spirit is. The people ask him, verse 10, saying, what shall we do then? Now you know you're preaching a good sermon when people say, how do I apply that practically in my life? How is it that I apply this idea of the baptism practically? of the Holy Spirit practically in my life how do I know whether or not I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit what should I do I know that I can't manufacture the Spirit I know that the Spirit is not something that that that, you know I just have it's something that's a gift I know I have to ask for that but what should I do now if someone asked that question that is the most precious question in the world you know in our evangelistic campaigns many times we say Do you want to get baptized? (laughs) That's a little ahead of ourselves. Amen? Hello? Only one time in the New Testament does it say that. Paul says, what hinders you from being baptized? Just once. Everywhere else, the key question, 16 times in the New Testament, is, what must I do? What can I do? Last week I was studying with someone. And they said to me, man, I want to get baptized. What do I need to do to get baptized? I said, what are you willing to do? Anything. I'll do anything. Whatever Jesus wants me to do, I'll do it. I want to be baptized. And she started baptizing herself right there with tears. Anything. Man, isn't that much better? An uh, An internal heart change that leads to a hydrotherapy experience through the eyes. When those tears are flowing, you know it's okay to do that exterior hydro-baptism. Amen? So look at what he says. Now, this, he's got to catch this. What should we do? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to he who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. What's he talking about here? Is this practical stuff? He says, look, if you've got too many clothes in your closet... Get rid of those. Give them to somebody else. You don't need 666 dresses. (laughs) Why did I choose that number? (laughs) You know, the reason I did was because Solomon says he multiplied women. By the way, that's a problem, too. It is. He multiplied women. He multiplied chariots. And he multiplied money, and you know what the, 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 the number is they give for that money? 666 talents. Gold. So in other words, very practically put, when we're converted, we want to minister to people that have no clothes. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Let me ask you a question. Do you think there's anybody within 10 miles, maybe even 5 minutes of here you guys mind if I take off this coat? <laughs> this two tunics things gave me an idea. <laughs> kind of hot up here. Um, do you think there's someone within five minutes, even two miles of here, that might need some clothing? This is very practical stuff, isn't it? So what he's saying is, by the way, most people back then only had one tunic. And it usually was made by their mother. And that's why when they were casting lots for Jesus' outer garments, that was so poignant. You know, that was the mother standing there and probably the piece of clothing that he hadn't worn for many years. So, very practical. Secondly, he who has food, let him do likewise. In other words, if you got extra food, give it away. Find someone who's hungry. Feed the homeless. I mean, you can see what's happening here. And then it goes on. The next group, tax collectors come out, and they say, what should we do? And he says, collect no more than has been appointed to you. Hey, by the way, could we even be like tax collectors? How many of us could, could collect too much money and hang on to it for ourselves? Uh, is this practical? are there some people out there that need financial help? should we help them? do you understand what he's explaining? he's saying look I'm gonna baptize you with the water here but what you really need is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. water, fine easy enough. Holy Spirit, that's applying it with your clothes and with your food and with your money and with your attitude, and with your power. Next it comes down to the soldiers. Don't misuse your power or authority. And then the punchline comes. Verse 15 and 16. Now, as the people were in expectation, all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water. I'm just the water guy. Okay? I'm in charge of the hose. I'm in charge of the water. But one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. (laughs) Now was this before? Well, was this before or after the latter rain? (laughs) It's before, isn't it? How many of you can see that in Luke chapter 3, a practical demonstration is given of what baptism really means? So many times we think about baptism as a mental ascent to a list of propositional truths. I know about the Trinity. I know about this. I know about that. Look, I am not against exposition and understanding of propositional truth. I mean, I love teaching that kind of stuff. I love it. But what's really needed is a practical demonstration of the love and character of Jesus Christ. Now I happen to think that probably understanding his teachings go part and parcel with that, but could it be that in our ministry and in our ministries and in our witness and in our whole philosophy of life we've kind of compartmentalized these? Could that be? Maybe when we're getting kids ready for baptism, we should go into the house and say, look, the Bible says every mountain will be brought low and every valley exalted and all the crooked places will be made straight. Mom and dad, are there any crooked places in this little kid's life that need to be made straight? Maybe not just study it out and then say, look, let's pray for the baptism of the Spirit Let's not say you have to do this to get baptized, but behind the scenes, let's begin to seek the Lord together. Let's begin to pray and plead with the Lord that somehow this little guy, this little gal, will start to be infilled with the Holy Spirit through our example, through whatever, and then we see these fruits. And then they get baptized. Well, we knew Johnny was converted when he painted the neighborhood. All the homeless people, he was giving them food. And so now we've decided that he should be baptized. Amen? This is the picture. Could there be a disconnect? Could this be a problem that we're having? All right, let me look at my notes. You know, this early rain, we talked about it. First of all, started with Jesus, and then he wanted to share it with others. And what I've just shown you is what he really wanted them to have is, Acts chapter 1, practical power in witnessing. They wanted them to have the truth, that's what he taught, but he wanted to do what he did, that's what he did. What he taught and did, and it had to come from a heart of love. You know, i got to tell you something. I think that when this happens, I don't think it's really happening to the ex- How many of you think it's happening once in a while? We see someone that's fully full on for God. But well, How many of you think if it really happened pervasively, we would have an evangelistic explosion in our church today? What do you think? Amen. What do you think if this week you emptied out your closet... And gave away everything to people that were in need. One of them might be in church with you next week. Amen? I don't know if you're feeling that or not. Do you like to give things away? (laughs) I was over in London. I was preaching there and they had this offering appeal. And these three little ladies got up front and they, they started saying, give and it will give back to you. Press down, shaken together and flowing over. Give, and it will give back to you. That's where they were singing. And they said, don't sing with us. You can only sing if you give an offering. <laughs> and then they passed the plate, the first aisle, and the second aisle. And pretty soon by the end, everyone was like, give, and it will come back to you. And I liked it because it was demonstrating the truth that as we give... In these practical ways, he gives back to us. How I many of that's true? Uh, my Uncle Frank, someone told me they met my Uncle Frank. I don't know who it was here last night. This guy was the this guy was baptized in the spirit. I believe he still is. He he was a barber. He still is. You know, he'd give free haircuts, he'd visit people in their homes. Some of you folks don't need free haircuts, brother. <laughs> and so he couldn't have ministered to you. <laughs> but he would go give these free haircuts. And and, and and people would start giving him stuff. Did you know that over his lifetime, as far as I know, he has been given four houses. Four houses. And he's been given about 16 different cars. Last time I saw him in Kansas, he's driving this Cadillac. And I go, Frank, where'd you get the Cadillac? He goes, oh, you know, someone, uh, someone gave it to me, but I'm fixing to give it away to someone else. He has had more cars and more houses, and he doesn't even make as much money as most of y'all. But because he gives, not only do people love him, they give to him, and he becomes a conduit of giving. Amen? Amen? This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he would have them in his barber chairs, and he'd go, okay. He'd, he'd listen to what their problems was, and then he would take a DVD or something, and he'd click it in the TV. They couldn't just watch any television program. It had to be related to their need. And then he says, and then i just keep cutting. <laughs> he said, you know, he told me his tricks. These are kind of deceptive. He said, look, I'll take... I'll take a clipper that I know is the hair's too long, and then I'll cut it. And go, and I know they need to listen to the next of this DVD. <laughs> and he knows how long it is, so he cuts it. He goes, out there. They go, "Oh no, you got to take more off." So he goes the next. Mm. How's that look? No. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then. The, mm, <laughs> mm. Amen? Amen. Now, did he give them a haircut, yeah. or did he get into their hair, their head? Amen? So, oh man, I'm totally off my notes. (laughs) Now let, let, let me just see if I can somehow bring this together with my notes. I believe that this practical demonstration of Christianity is what's lacking in my life to a large extent and into the lives of many of you here today and in the life of the church corporately. I mean, did you hear what I just said? I believe that's what's lacking. And I believe, and I think I'm going to try and prove, I believe that the very things we saw in Luke chapter 3 that were associated with the early reign baptismal period are the very things that are needed in the latter reign baptismal period we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that needs to be demonstrated in practical, powerful, witnessing ways. Now let me see if I can prove that to you. You know, We talk about the third angel's message. We talk about the three angels' messages coming together. We talk about them coming together in a sounding of the loud cry. In Ellen White's writings, the loud cry and the latter rain and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are synonymous. They're the same things. So you have these two groups in Revelation 14. you got those who worship the beast in his image. They have no rest day or night. They have a counterfeit experience. Right? And then you have those, Revelation chapter 14, 12. Here is the, what's patience? It's a gift of the, here are they that keep the commandments of God. What's that? It's the gift of faithfulness. Where's that from? It's a gift of the, and they have the faith of, which means, as a summary statement, they have a baptism of the Holy Spirit like Jesus did. So Revelation 14, 12 is really this picture of someone is so filled with the love of Jesus that they love like Jesus. That's so filled with the Holy Spirit that they obey like Jesus. And what was that commandment we heard last night? I want you to have this Holy Spirit. I want you to, be, I want you to have resurrection power. I want you to give that spirit to others. Give them resurrection power. And that resurrection power He then gave to His disciples and the entire church was reached. But it has to be in the context of what? Patient endurance. Hupa pomone. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Is this self-aggrandizing? No. Next verse in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From henceforth, and their works, their what? Their works will follow them. So these people are dead. They're dead to self. I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ Jesus lives within me. Was Paul working for Christ? Did he get involved in helping people who were hungry? Did he collect offerings for the poor? Did he show himself spent by itinerant travel? Was he bitten by snakes? Did he fall into the ocean? Was he in prison? You understand what I'm saying? So this baptism of the Holy Spirit described in the third angel's message is a death to self. That demonst- then, then what happens? There's the demonstration of Holy Spirit power, patient endurance in obedience to Christ, and living like Christ. By the way, what did Christ do the most of? Healing, teaching, preaching. It was healing, wasn't it? Practical medical missionary work, that's what he did. And so this third angel's message has to be tied up with that practical element. All right, and I believe that's what this loud cry is related to. Now, I want to tell you something. The purpose of the Adventist church is to give that loud cry. And here's the thing I mentioned last night that's kind of troubling to me. Did you realize that at one point in this church's history, Ellen White said they were beginning to give the loud cry? How many of you realize that? Let me read that to you for those of you who don't, haven't heard that. November 22, 1892. The time of test is just upon us, for the loud cry of the third angel has already begun in the revelation of the righteousness of Christ, the sin-pardoning Redeemer. So the loud cry, she said, the third angel's message had already started, and it says, there is, this is the beginning of the light of the angel, Revelation 18, whose glory shall fill the whole earth. So it had begun. This was written in 1892. Just four years after that 1888 message, finally, there was a group of young people who were preaching. They would have been the GYCers, the WYCers of the day. And they began preaching. And when they began preaching, people began to fall in love with Jesus and the cross. They began to understand something about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. My great-grandfather came in to the church right around that time. I still have his sermons. I just looked at them in my file yesterday. You know what his sermon was called? Receive ye the Holy Ghost. How to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How? It was that time. But the sad thing is, even though that theology was right, they never started to get around to that practical aspect. And pretty soon they began to dry up. They tried to start, they started to dry up in their hearts. So they said, What am I going to do? So they discovered the Laodicean message. And in 1858 was the first time, but then it was more pronounced to begin to preach this message of Laodicea. But that was rejected. Jones and Wagoner and their preaching were rejected largely by the church. There still is a debate today, even today. There's a conference in another part of the country that's an 1888 study committee. And there was, there's this debate that goes back and forth in the church, but the fact remains that the prophet of the Lord said that at one time the loud cry had, become, had begun and the Holy Spirit had begun to be poured out. There's another group in the church today that says, oh no, 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 Ellen White was wrong. <laughs> it was wrong. What we really need to do is turn back to a basic understanding of Christianity. Jones and Wagoneer's understanding Christianity was all wrong. They were kind of extremists. Look what happened to them. And we just need to hear righteousness by faith as preached by a hyper-Calvinistic justification by faith only message. Don't worry so much about what you do. Don't worry about so much about what you say. Jesus did and said everything. And if you mess up, he's there for you. got it covered. Don't worry too much. Don't worry. Be happy. That's that kind of sloppy, agape, <laughs> sappy, mamby, pamby <laughs> approach. There's a, 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 a splitting apart of justification and of sanctification, saying, Look, <laughs> if it happens, it happens. Praise God. But if not, don't worry. Early readers were basically wrong. Ellen White was wrong. She's just a devotional author. How many of you have ever heard this? You see the problem with all that? How many of you see a problem with that? Look, it might be alarming to someone if I say this, but, you know, there's more evidence that Ellen White had the Holy Spirit than anybody else in this room. <laughs> I mean, if one of us died today, I hate to admit it even for myself, we would never come to the stature of influence that Ellen White had on the world. How many of you, is, does that trouble you at all? I don't care if we'd live a hundred more years, we wouldn't have that influence, because you know why? She allowed the baptism of the Spirit to come on her. She didn't just talk about these things. She actually lived these things. Did she, did she, she believe in pure doctrine? But did she take people into her home? <laughs> One time she had 47 people staying in her home. She'd bring all kinds of people into her home. She would be like, okay, I got to get up in the morning and start writing this and that. And she'd write, write, write. Then in the afternoon, she'd deliver things right over here in Elmshaven. She would dry all these different uh, fruits and different things over there. Now they're all drunk. But back then they had these different orchards of different things. And she'd dry those apricots and this and that. And she said, we've got to send these to the people around the world. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. And by the way, this evening I'm going out in the carriage. I'm going to take some soup to Mrs. So-and-so. And then we're going to do How many of you have ever read the stories of Ellen White? Even when she's 80 years old, she's more effective Christian than me. And it was really measured by what? Practical godliness. Well, you know, I don't believe these folks that say Ellen White was wrong and the early pioneers were wrong. I don't believe them. I think we need to see a justification and sanctification that are coming together. And I believe that the Bible says this. The just, that's justification, shall live, that's sanctification, by faith. Amen? Amen? And you know, depending on who I'm talking to, maybe the focus needs to be more on the just, because they're overburdened with the overwhelming burden of sin, and maybe some I talk to needs to be, shall live, because they're saying, I, I, I just have enough here, by faith. But we need those messages together. Amen? The just shall live by faith. In fact, that's why I think Ellen White could say that the third angel's message is justification and verity, because it's the just and sanctification coming together. Amen? All right, now, all right, this is a, tro- this is a problem. But let me now get to the main point. Look at Isaiah now, chapter 58. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've suggested the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that we get only from Jesus. He got it because of his cross-bearing life. His life and death all came together on the cross. The cross would not have been significant if he hadn't taken up his cross daily and followed his master from the very beginning. Yes or no? If he would have said, okay, I had this really nasty life, but I'm going to get up now and die on the cross. Would that have meant anything? Absolutely nothing. But he went about doing good. And when he died, I just was fascinated to read this. You know why the thief on the cross was converted? Just read this in the pen of inspiration. As the thief hung there, saw what Christ was going through, it says that he recalled to mind all the healing this man had done. He recalled to mind all the ministry this man had done. And as a result of thinking about the practical acts of kindness and goodness, the thief on the cross was converted. So what converted the thief on the cross? Baptism of the Spirit in Jesus' life. Okay, now look at Isaiah 58. Oh, man. Man, man, man. Now, I've, I've discovered something I can't show you right now, but I'll tell you. I believe that Isaiah 58 is the foundation for the book of Hebrews now you're looking at me like what are you talking about Let me tell you why because in the book of Hebrews in the book of Hebrews there are two days that are primarily focused on in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 it says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and as such is the manner of some and so much more as you see the day approaching. And that day, next verse, is the day of judgment. It's Yom Kippur. It is the day of atonement. That's day number one in Hebrews. But there's another day in Hebrews. And that's in Hebrews chapter 4. And I named my son after this. There remains, therefore, a sabbatismos. He's smiling at me. A sabbatismos, a Sabbath keeping for the people of God. Rest for your works, enter in His works. It says next, what are His works? Both days are connected with works. The Sabbath is connected with works, and in Hebrews chapter ten, it talks about exhorting one another to love and good works. Two days. Two pictures of good works. And I believe Isaiah 58 is the key not only for understanding the book of Hebrews, but for the return of the loud cry to God's remnant church. Let me show you why. Hebrews chapter 58, verse 1. Cry aloud! Turn that around for a minute. Loud cry. If you're crying aloud, that's a what? The loud cry is the same as the what? Ladder rain. Same as the baptism of the Spirit. There it is. Cry aloud. spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways and in a nation that did righteousness did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice and they take delight in approaching God. Notice this. There's no shortage in this particular description of this loud-cried church of doing what? Taking delight in approaching God. There's all kinds of prayer ministries in that church. They might have a prayer room, a prayer tent, a prayer booth. They might have all kinds of that. They got that going on. Can you see that there? In fact, they delight in approaching. They like to even fast. We have fasted. Into verse 3, we have afflicted our souls. Can you see that these are all day of atonement words? Affliction of souls, fasting, prayer days, seminars, GYCs, elemental P's, QRS, TUVs, XYZs. How many of you get the point? So they have that down. The problem is, the problem is what? Verse 3, why have we fasted, they said, and you have not see so they have have a day of atonement people they understand that message notice also Isaiah 58 verse 13 if you turn your foot away from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day call the Sabbath the delight a holy day of the Lord honorable and shall honor him not doing your own ways nor finding your own pleasure nor speaking your own words then you shall delight yourself in the Lord so they are a Sabbath keeping people how many of you have ever had a sermon preached using that text How many of you have ever had that? Both of those. But the problem is, the problem is, the same element that was missing here in Isaiah 58 is the element that may be missing here in 2012. The problem is, all those things are happening. They've got Bible prophecy seminars. I believe in Bible prophecy seminars that proclaim the Day of Atonement message, that proclaim the Sabbath message. They may be baptizing lots of people with water, but there's not something happening with the baptism of the Spirit that's displayed in practical ways. Amen? Now, I'm talking to young people now because we messed it up. Look at anybody next to you and if they have blonde hair like me, Why are you saying gray? Snow on the mountains, huh? Um, you know, we've been here too long, and I think anybody that has hair my color, or, or even if it's dyed, and I know it's my color, <laughs> I think I think God's calling us to repentance and to admitting that we really haven't had the element. Now let me just say this. Right in the middle of Isaiah 58 then, it gives the antidote. But before I tell you this, there was something interesting I want to bring to your attention. Back in 1892, 1893, I can't remember exactly the date. I have it in my notes here. But there was a general conference that was called. And there was someone who arrived at that general conference that was preaching a sermon similar to what I'm preaching today. And guess what his name was? John Harvey Kellogg. Jones and Wagoner were there. Alan White was there. John Harvey Kellogg was there. He preached five sermons. Five sermons. Here they are. I wish I had time to read them to you. You know what those sermons said? They said, look, we're preaching the first part of Isaiah 58. We're preaching the last part of Isaiah 58. And we're preaching that the loud cry has begun. But where are those works? Where are those things from the middle of Isaiah 58? Where is that? Where are those works? Do you think that the ministers of that age liked that? Were they happy with his preaching? Do you think the people in charge of all the different ministries that day were happy with what John Harvey Kellogg said? In fact, they were so displeased with John Harvey Kellogg that they never published these sermons in the General Conference Bulletin. They never made it in. They said, well, those are nice sermons, but uh, (laughs) we can't afford to put them in. Money's tight. Would you like to hear just a couple excerpts of that, the quotes that he, he pulled out the spirit of prophecy. And he begins saying things. This is all from Testimonies, Volume 2. Testimonies, Volume what? Page 24 and onward. The whole chapter is about Isaiah 58. Listen to this. Prayers. Exhortation. That's what I'm doing and talk, that's what I'm doing, are cheap fruits. That's a quote from Ellen White. But fruits that are manifested in good works, in caring for the needy, the fatherless, the widows, are genuine fruits, and grow naturally on a good tree. Testimonies, Volume 2, page 25. All are praying, all are what? And abstinence from food will avail us nothing unless we resolutely take hold of this work, the work in Isaiah 58. Listen to this one. It's again what I'm doing right now. It is not the abundance of the meetings, of your meetings that God accepts. We've got to have more meetings. Let's get up at 6.30. Let's have meetings all day. We're at WYC. We're meeting. We're going. We're meeting. We're meeting. It's not that. It's not the numerous prayers. It's right doing. And then she hearkens to Isaiah 58. Kellogg added, and he had nobody really happy with him from the one side except for one lady Alan White, the loud cry is going to begin. They were saying it had begun, but he's getting up to saying it's going to begin. When? It's going to begin with our doing the things the Lord in this chapter says comes with the loud cry. You know what he was doing at that time? He says, look, I don't want to just tell you about it. He says, look, I got some people that I want to share testimonies. And what he had done was he had taken the entire city of Battle Creek, he had divided it up into grids, and he had put teams of nine people. And those nine people had gone out and canvassed all the needs that people had, health, spiritual, emotional, mental, and canvassed all those needs. And then they just simply started doing them. There was a group called the Burden Bearers that went out, and if someone needed wood chopped, they chopped the wood. There was a group of of mothers in Israel that went out and said, look, if you need help with the kids, we'll take care of the kids. There was a group of people saying, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll help you with this and that. And they said, look, we want to report every week. You just go back. And the people that are especially mean to you, just make friends with them. Keep working with them. And guess what was happening? There was a revival coming in Battle Creek. And people began to be drawn to the message. So then he started to do it in Chicago. And people began to be drawn to the message because now people were not just baptized, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And as they came together, they were praying together and they were praying about practical things like, oh God, how are we going to help Mrs. Jones? Oh God, how are we going to help Henry? Oh God, how are we going to do this? How's that going to happen? How are we going to provide this? How are we going to do that? And God began to bless, and people began to come, and they became, it became an evangelistic success. Then it spread to Australia, because Ellen White said, that's what God wants us to do. That's what will usher in the loud cry. And she began to talk to people, and down there they did that. And they started to go out, and they started to divide the cities up, and, and people started coming, and you can look at the logs even today. You can see what was happening. Ellen... Kellogg made the provocative suggestion that some now are beginning to make again, including our general conference president, and that is that we need to have a revival of medical missionary work. How many of you agree with that? There must be a revival of medical missionary work, and I don't mean you have to be a medical person to do that. It's really... Look, how many of you can cut grass? How many of you can split wood? How many of you can, you understand? It's just finding a need and meeting it. That's what medical missionary work is. It's finding a need and meeting it. What's the promise if between these two coward doctrines of Adventism, the Day of Atonement, verse 1 to 3, the Sabbath, verse 13 and 14. What is the antidote for this idea that God is not heard or not seen, is not answering? Verse 3, it's found in verse 6. Is this not the fast I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, And that you bring into your house the poor who are cast out. And when you see the naked, that you cover him. And you do not hide yourself from your own flesh. Now you want to understand what that means? You want to understand what that means? You want to understand practically what that means? I want you to take Testimonies, Volume 2, and open it up to the chapter called Doing for Christ. It basically tells you exactly what that means. Man, it, talks, it starts out with this idea of cheap fruits versus genuine fruits. It talks about Matthew 25. If you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. It then talks about pure and undefiled religion. It talks about, about it says, look, if you really want to see Jesus, how many of you want to see Jesus? How many of you would like to see Jesus today? Listen to this. It was I who was hungry and thirsty. It was I who was a stranger. It was I who was naked. It was I who was sick. It was I who was in prison. It was I who was famishing. It was I, it was I, it was I, it was I. And she basically said, if you want to see Jesus, go take care of all those types of people and you'll see Jesus and you can see him good news today. (laughs) I love this part. Throughout the chapter, I don't have time to, I don't have time to read it all. How many of you want to read this? You know what she says? She says, there's angels all around us, and sometimes we don't know it, but we're entertaining angels. She's quoting the apostle there. You know what I'm going to call them? Strangels. Because they're strangers, but they're really angels. This is a new word. How many of you want to see some strangels? Strangels, and they're all around. And guess what she says? She says, the poor, she says, all these kind of people that you see and maybe drive by, these are people that are sent to test whether or not you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Strangels. They're all around. Then she deals with all the objections. She talks about who you should serve. Orphans, children, believers who have lost their homes because they've come after the faith. Pilgrims and strangers. That's why I came up with that idea of strangers, Poor. She talks about the poor. Then she talks about cooking. Listen to this one. I have heard many excuse themselves from abiding to their homes. And they say, why? I have nothing prepared. I have nothing cooked. Amen. How many of you have ever heard this? then she goes on if you don't have anything prepared if you have no bread sister imitate the case brought to view in the Bible go to your neighbor and say friend live me three loaves for a friend of mine in this journey has come to me and I have nothing but set before him we have not an example of this lack of bread ever being made an excuse to refuse entrance to an applicant and then she says look Elijah came to the widow of Sarepta she shared her morsel and guess what happened a miracle was done Strangels! Goes on, well, wait a minute, you say I have poor health. Oh, I can't do it because I have poor health. Oh, you got poor health? Some plead their poor health. They would love to do it if they had strength. Suff, such have long shut themselves up with poor feelings, sufferings, trials, afflictions, and this has become their present truth. You who are suffering with poor health, there's a remedy if you clothe the naked. Bring the poor that are cast out into your house. Deal thy bread to the hungry. Then thy light shall break forth this morning, and thy health shall spring forth speedily. And she quotes Isaiah 58. She goes through every objection. She says this. Do not be, don't wait to be told what to do. Oh, no one at my church has organized this. There's no one calling me to do this. Oh, no, it is, if someone organized it, I'd be right. Don't wait for that. Just go. There's no personal ministries leader. No, you are. She talks about single moms. She talks about boys. She talks about bringing them in and teaching them how to work, but not just teaching them, showing them love and affection. She talks about how to open your heart and how to open your home. She talks about, oh man, I could go on. And then she does this on page 32. She says, two sons of Zebedee came And asked Jesus, can we be in your kingdom? Jesus answered, you don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I shall drink or be baptized with the baptism wherewith I'm baptized? So she likens the entire chapter to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. you got to hear how she ends. How many of you are going to read this now? you got to read this. She talks about it again and again. She talks about Isaiah 58. She says, this is the special work now before us. She says this. Hunt the labor of the West, not on them, the hungry, the poor, and whatnot, not on them to hunt you up and entreat of you a home for themselves. You are to search for them. Bring them into your house. You are to draw out your soul after them. You are with one hand to reach health by faith and take hold of the mighty arm of bring salvation while the other you reach out the oppressed. And then she talks about all the promises that come as a result. Wonderful promises in Isaiah 58. Your health will spring forth. Light will come. All of these Pictures she gives in Isaiah 58, or God gives in Isaiah 58, guess what? They're the same language that's used to describe the loud cry. How many of you really want the loud cry? How many of you really want to see Jesus? It's within your hand, it's within our grasp. Amen? <laughs> the real question, the real question is whether or not we'll have the love of Jesus and whether or not we'll have the faith of Jesus. To have the love of Jesus is to act like Jesus. That's to do what Jesus did. And to have the faith of Jesus is the same thing, isn't it? Let me just close with how she closes. Many may feel grieved because I have spoken so plainly. (laughs) But this I shall continue to do if the Lord lays this burden on me. And this is why I brought this all up today. God requires those who occupy responsible positions to be consecrated to the work. I began to ask myself, am I consecrated to the work? If they move wrong, the people will feel at liberty to follow in their footsteps. If the people are wrong, and the leaders lift not their voice, they sanction the same, and the sin is charged upon them as well as the offenders. Those who occupy responsible positions should be men of piety, who continually feel the burden of the work resting upon them. Basically, the call of Isaiah 58 is the call of the cross. Jesus took up his cross day by day and died on a cross. And the Holy Spirit poured on him because he loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. His healing ministry then was expanded through his disciples who took up their cross and followed him. And the entire world was reached in one generation. And as, go, or as went the early reign, it's the same prerequisites for the latter reign. We're an Isaiah 58 people. We're a day of Atomah people. We're a Sabbath people. But how many of you think it's been long enough? How many of you think the latter rain has been long enough in coming? And how many of you have just want to confess that many times you just complained that nobody else is doing what's right? I'm so thankful for our general conference leadership. They're trying to do what's right. They're trying to give a course and direction. But even if they didn't, how many think God still wants the latter rain to come? I'm going to invite our quartet to come up. And we're going to close. I'd like you to, I think there might be some words on the screen, but we're going to sing, I'm going to Calvary. I'm going to have them sing the first two verses and then we're going to sing together the last verse. But this is our song of appeal we can talk as much as we want about this and these are cheap fruits (laughs) all my preaching today was cheap talk is cheap but how is it going to play out will the Holy Spirit cause us to give one tunic away will the Holy Spirit have us share our bread will the Holy Spirit lead from our knees to actions will we follow the master now now listen to these words as they sing and then we'll sing the uh, last verse i am going to calvary i am going to calvary would you like to come follow the leader. You must follow the leader. All the way and back again. You must follow the leader. verse. You see the appeal on that song? Jesus said, I'm going to Calvary. Would you like to come with me? It's enough to look at the cross. is not enough. Jesus calls us, and he pleads with us. He says, take up your cross and follow me. And just as when he took up his cross and followed the master's bidding, and the Holy Spirit fell on him, the assurance is the same to us today that as we take up His cross, that Spirit falls on us as well. Do we need that Spirit? Yes. Do we long for that Spirit? Yes. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, today we're thankful to be a day of atonement people. We're thankful for that message. We believe we're living in the time of the end. Lord, we're thankful for that Sabbath message. We're thankful that on that Sabbath day you did seven healings. And you demonstrated the Isaiah 58 aspect of the Sabbath. Today as we go on outreach, we ask that you would go with us. That you you would give us patient endurance, if that's what we need to learn. That you would give us obedience to the faith as we go. And that you would increase our faith, give us the faith of Jesus. That you would pour out your spirit... On our lives today, and that you would bring that letter ring to your people. We thank you. And we come in Jesus' all-powerful name. Amen and Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse,